Welcome to TBT with Grace and Emma, a podcast on the millennial generation and how we came to be. I'm Emma. I'm Grace. This week on the pod, we start off with a quiz. Then we unpack and dissect the recent articles that have come out about millennial burnout. We also share some amazing updates and insights from our listeners. And we round out the episode as we always do with some great TBTs. Hey! Hey. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Hey, Emma. Hey, Grace. What's going on? Okay, this is <laughs> such a weekend. Yeah. So we are recording right now on a Sunday, the Sunday of MLK weekend 2019. Yep. And it's a pretty fun weekend mm-hmm. because this has now become the weekend in which I celebrate my birthday. Happy with- birthday, Emma. Thanks, Grace. Um, and my brother and I, who have birthdays that are 10 days apart, now have like year two in the books of what may become a tradition of celebrating our birthdays on the Saturday of MLK weekend. Yeah. Put it in your calendars now, babies. If you want an invite for next year, just DM me. Yeah. <laughs> Grace just bird. <laughs> you can hear it. I'm, I'm just, my body is so excited. It's <laughs> It's just evacuating. How how did uh how did it go raining in this next year of your life and what's what's ahead? It's cool. I feel like in our last episode I was feeling super refreshed and really ready to take on twenty nineteen and feeling like very centered and very like oriented toward my three focus areas, which I shared yeah. in our last podcast. Right. And then that all completely unraveled when I realized that I was turning 31. Did that sound too dark? I'm fine, everyone. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honestly doing fine. I just, this was the first birthday where I actually felt like old or in a significant way. It's actually really generous of you to be candid about how, how these last couple weeks have actually been in practice. Right. And like, that, that doesn't mean that you're not still on track to satisfy a lot of the, the, the sort of outcomes that come from the three goals that you set. Mm. Um, but I think it's, it's helpful and human. Yeah. Everyone sets New Year's resolutions and then everyone falls off the wagon within mm-hmm. like a month. And for some reason, I thought I was like holier than thou. Mm. I was like, I'm, go- I'm good. I've got this. I figured it out. Sure. A resolution... The point isn't that you feel guilty for for not following through. I feel like it's more about how do you make those positive changes more long term. Right. So I think the real the real mythology around it is that if you somehow mistake or fail, that it's a failure completely as opposed to like a step in the process. Yeah. I think you're fine. It's just another step. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. Emma and I getting to take shots at the free throw line at (laughs) Oracle Arena this week. We sure did, people. Yeah. And in case you were wondering if there's a video of me (laughs) 
shooting an airball? <laughs> there 100% is. Maybe we'll release it in conjunction with the release of the pod. I think it is the most graceful. I will say there's a moment when you watch the video where you're like, oh my gosh, Emma's going to flipping do it. <laughs> At least from where I was standing. And then you sort of see the arc of the ball just feed away. <laughs> feed away. Good. And then I did the same thing Aww. a moment later. It looked really good. And then it just was not even close to being hard far I, enough. I think it shows that our form is in the right place, but our yeah. upper body strength could use a little work. Yeah. Not enough force. Or really, it's about coming from the legs. Anyway, okay, we don't need to go down this road. Anyway, that was a highlight. TBT to fourth grade basketball summer camp and God. learning about using your legs. Real quick, I have a couple updates. Yeah. Um, first of all, Joey Fatone was on Mas- The Masked-, Masked Singer. I heard! <laughs> Did, was he actually on it yet? I don't know. People at work were talking about it. Yeah. I didn't I haven't looked into it. So so it's just it's just a rumor. <gasps> oh. I mean, it's probably him. But the whole concept of the masked singer is that you only get revealed when you're the bottom of the week. Oh. So there's like ten masked singers. But I, I've also heard one of them was Joy Fatone and I'm very stoked about it. Uh real quick, we have a correction to make. Okay. Um, Dave Chappelle. Not from Ohio. Not from Ohio. Why did I think that? Where I don't know. From? And then I was so quick to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right, you're right, you're right. Um, my brother texted me and he said he's from DC. Oh. But you know what? Let me actually uh look look at where he's from. Um, yeah, he's from DC. Wait, 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 wait. Whoa, 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 what? So his dad worked as a statistician before becoming a professor a professor at Antioch College in Yellow Springs, Ohio. After just... his parents separated, Chappelle stayed in Washington with his mother while spending summers with his father in Ohio. Okay. So no one was quite wrong. Thank you. But Wikipedia. also I wasn't totally right. Um, this week we have a, a special dedication to a, a valued listener, uh, Jim Cho. Just wanted to give him a special shout out this week. He is an exceptional photographer, a storied educator, and uh, a, a real, real stand-up dude. So this this ep- this week's episode dedicated to Jimbo. Jim- oh. Jimbo. Do we call him that? I don't know. Um, also gave us some really good feedback on the pod. Yeah. I have a quick update from friend of the pod, Danny Moreno, one of my BFFs from high school who currently lives in Madrid, Spain. Listen to the pod, a recent joiner to the podcast family, and here we go. Oh my gosh, so I totally forgot to uh, mention this when I, after I listened to this episode, but um, I think you said something like old millennials or something. I can't remember exactly, but I was like, wait, that reminds me. My other friends uh, do this podcast, and I heard them say vintage millennials. Wow. Which I think is incredibly appropriate (laughs) so i feel like anyone who's 30 any millennial who's like 30 and up is uh now officially a vintage millennial oh danny what do you think yeah no 100 percent. i think we're i think we should incorporate it Uh, yeah shout out to danny's friends whose podcast is called this cupoc life spelled Q-P-O-C. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for the like crossover nature of no the podcast. Kidding. Yeah. 
I love that. Yeah. Con- vin- consider it a new part of our our vocabulary. Vintage millennials. Feel free to use it liberally, people. Maybe it'll become a hashtag. Millennials. In the news. News. In the, in the news. news. <laughs> we, like, made some serious <laughs> eye contact while saying that. In the news. All right. In the news. Give us the intro, Gracie. All right. So, Anne Helen Peterson at BuzzFeed published an article on January 5th, and it's called How Millennials... <laughs> How Millennials Became... I'm going to burp again. <laughs> <laughs> so glad we're Beca- in such tight quarters. <laughs> became the burnout generation. Okay. So, I first started reading this article ahead of last time's episode, mm-hmm. and I stopped because I was sort of turned off by the entry, the uh, opening. Why? Because the the focus of the opening is how she says, quote, the mundane, the medium priority, the stuff that wouldn't make my job any easier or my work any better, end quote, um, is a, a symptom of millennial burnout. So like not being able to get through your to-do list, um, errand para- uh, paralysis, which is failing to sort of muster the motivation to complete simple tasks on your to-do list. And I think what was frustrating at the beginning for me was feeling like, how how much can we really say that's attributable to the millennial generation? So I actually put down the article. Because mm. I just sort of felt like I, I'm not necessarily, this doesn't feel like this revelatory millennial article if you start out of a point where it's like, we're overstimulated or, mm-hmm. or like it's hard for me to get through my to-do list because my initial reaction was like, ah, like ev- literally every generation ever deals with that. Right. Like this writer was describing like just being overwhelmed by the idea of doing errands. Right. Which like, right, I agree with you. Like I think where is the connection specifically to our definitive generation? Right, right. Um, but you know, especially after it gained so much traction, I just figured I I needed to give it a proper read through. Yeah. Um, and I was really, really glad I did. The thesis is the acute high stress environments. Mm -hmm. So as she describes it, that we're, that we're found in as a generation is not temporary. It's not solved by going on vacation. It is Hmm. an ever present and ever building tension in our lives that we may or may not even acknowledge. We are always on call, capable of taking calls and and checking emails in bed. Like Mm -hmm. there is never, our careers have never really had a time where you turned, you were able to separate your life from your work. As much as they like to say that like everyone got participation trophies. And I said this in an email to my dad the other day because he was pissing me off. (laughs) But like a millennial participation trophy is like a baby boomer first place. Mm-hmm. Like we all had to do so much to be exceptional to, you know, whether it's taking care of siblings and commuting far to make sure that you're going to the like magnet school that might provide some more economic opportunity or you're doing five clubs when you're in the ninth grade because, you know, you're worried about getting into college and you're 12 years old. Yeah. Um like all of this ingrained competition and then we get into the workforce like we get into the workforce and the reality is that like 
we've been optimized. The, the word that, um, the word that the author uses is, is optimized self-optimization. Yes. I love that phrase. Yeah. She says, it's also about the psychological toll of realizing that something you've been told and came to believe yourself would be worth it, Mm -hmm. worth the loans, worth the labor, worth all of that Mm self-optimization isn't. Mm -hmm. Okay. Emma, I'm going to just read one one quote, Mm -hmm. and I really want to open it up to Convo. Quote, this is why the fundamental criticism of millennials that we're lazy and entitled is so frustrating. We hustle so hard that we figured out how to avoid wasting time eating meals and are called entitled for asking for fair compensation and benefits like working remotely so we can live in affordable cities, adequate health care or 401ks so we can theoretically stop working at some point before the day we die. <laughs> We're called whiny for, taking fr- for talking frankly about just how much we do work or how exhausted we are by it. But because overworking for less money isn't always visible, because job hunting now means trawling LinkedIn, because overtime now means replying to emails in bed, the extent of our labor is often ignored or degraded. Yep. I also screenshotted that quote. Got it. Sorry that I'm sniffing. No, I'm... All right. Now that I've talked for like five minutes straight, what did you think about the article? Yeah, I mean, I think that... There's a lot, I think there's two things that run true. I think one is this like anxiety, when, and I think there's so much constant anxiety. And I think part of that anxiety is because of the amount of information that we get and we don't know how to prioritize and interpret it. And I also think there's a constant element of rigor to the way we have to navigate the world, we have to constantly figure out. What am I prioritizing to do with my time right now? Because your options are so extensive. Mm-hmm. Who am I prioritizing talking to? How am I updating my calendar? How am I making sure that I'm like juggling all of these elements of my life that are really interconnected because they all exist and touch on this phone that I hold in my mm-hmm. hand constantly. Right. Your social life, your work life, your family life, how you spend your time, you track your calories on your app, you track your exercise on your app. Everything that you do mm-hmm. is constantly present and calling for your attention literally with a notification. Right. Um on your phone. Right. I think that this article in particular really speaks to people who kind of work in like the knowledge mm-hmm. knowledge industry where your work doesn't exist unless it exists on a Google calendar, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of industries where that's not the case and people's work is actually existing outside of that. So that's, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. That's something. I think the other piece that really resonated with me was this piece of self, self-optimization Yeah. and cultivating and crafting oneself yeah. is laborious, but like, right. what is the end result? Right. Is the end result like self-actualization right right because i don't think that's gonna happen through like a face mask and like reading some cleo wade poetry no (laughs) offense cleo wade right the expectations are so high and the conditions are so difficult Mm -hmm. that there's this real so much space for anxiety and stress yeah and failure and and not feeling like that failure is okay yeah yeah, and that self-optimization piece, it's like 
I think maybe she's in, she even says this in the article, but this like we became a product. Yeah. Right. And so this accessibility, like this, the um, intersection of of the personal, social, professional, all of those on your phone, like also and self care too. All of this being like in our lives as we project them through social media, mm-hmm. also need to align with us demonstrating that we are on track that we are competitive like that we are um self-actualizing yeah and i think that sets a tough benchmark too because our views of other people are through these curated platforms of social media Mm -hmm. where people are trying very hard to make sure that there is this public perception that they are thriving through this challenge and so we don't actually get a ton of visit. Like I think this visibility that she mentions is super real. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 not terribly visible the way that we are struggling and and like I said, failing and um, it's not working out. Yeah, I think that there's also like some. Um... I was talking to my brother about this article because he also was the one that sent it to me initially. Mm -hmm. And I was asking him his thoughts on it. And I think his point was like a lot of the conditions that were that are causing us to gripe and groan through this article Mm -hmm. are things that are really fueled by tech. Mm -hmm. He was like, but his point was like, it's not just our generation that's Mm -hmm. being super affected by the infusion of tech. Yeah. And I actually think that we also are in a privileged place as Mm -hmm. a generation because we're young still Mm -hmm. relative to like other adults right like we're still on the younger side of things and like I think that that you know in the same way that like film and movie and tv is like obsessed with people in their 20s and early 30s I think we're kind of like part of that obsession when it comes to talking about how tech intersects with our lives Mm -hmm. but like I think that this conversation needs to be expanded to include people who are older and younger because I think that we're in a we're in a privileged place because we are money making, we are part of the capitalist society, we are in positions of power, but we're also still younger in our younger in age and earlier in our careers and mm-hmm. I think like we're pretty exclusionary when we just focus on millennials and how we're being affected by this. There are unique conditions Mm -hmm. that differentiate the millennial experience with this with with tech and Mm -hmm. with work than I think other generations have experienced yeah like obviously the whole landscape of work is changing studies show that we are under different economic conditions and so I just feel like you layer that on top of the the tech side of things and it does lend itself to a unique experience for sure yeah I feel like there is this underlying fear that I think is very real yeah in the day-to-day experience that that I don't that I agree with you that I don't necessarily think other generations experienced when they were entering even the private sector well it's that security piece right yeah like you have seen so much insecurity that why would you think otherwise a hundred percent and it's like and no, I feel like no one owes me anything. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's actually what it is, is like the world is like, we don't owe you anything. 
and you're like, you're right, you're right, you're right. I gotta prove, I gotta be smart. I gotta right, prove it. I right. gotta save my money. Like right. I'm like, I'm not moving out of this fucking house, right? Because as soon as I move out, I'm not gonna be able to save in the way that I need to save right now. Let alone continue paying off my student loans. Let alone go buy a car. Right. I'm like, I don't feel like I like the world is like, we don't owe you jack shit. And I'm like, you're right, you don't. So I better like buckle down in this tiny ass little house that I live in with my parents and like you know, stuff some cash under my mattress, which is essentially is what I'm doing because it's all just going into my savings account. Right. Right. Well, do you think that, that, cause I want to also, that seems to me counter, it's like, um, intellectually counter to this idea of entitlement, right? You're saying what's giving me anxiety is I don't feel like the, uh, I feel like the messaging is that the, the world doesn't owe me anything. Yeah. Whereas I feel like entitlement is with millennials categorized as like, we expect that because we put in, we had these inputs, that Mm. the outputs would be X. Yeah, well, I think it's both. I think it's like, there's that entitlement, but like once you, I think, hmm, I don't know. I'm having a hard time, I'm having a hard time separating like my own experience from kind of like what's happening on a larger scale Mm -hmm. because I think that that entitlement is like real, but I also, I don't know that I don't know how many people are really walking around Mm -hmm. thinking that what they have right now is protected. Mm -hmm. Right. And when I was thinking about it, to me, entitlement is more, um, you know, you mentioned privilege of younger people. Yeah. Right? Or of, of the fact that, that as younger people, we have um, unique privileges. Right. And I, I think our generation, more than perhaps others, although, you know, I want to I wanna put an asterisk on that. Because we work so hard to self for op- self-optimization, to be competitive, and we also work in, in, in um, close to industries where age is not always a determining factor in power. Like a lot of your team is really young, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Being like in their mid twenties. Yep. And I, I have agency in my job and expect to work somewhere where my opinion matters. And I think that that's audacious. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, and, and, and I'll never understand this like fraternity type of mindset that like, well, we all went through the shitty period and so you just need to put in your time yeah and because we're so like we're so efficient and we're so like highly trained um obviously there's still a tremendous skills gap I acknowledge that completely but I do think that like our our generation has been particularly cultivated to be high performing Mm -hmm. we go into work expecting that that kind of experience growing up allows us to have a say and have things worth considering and have ideas. Yeah. And I think it's sort of off-putting for older generations to have these young, audacious people coming in and and acting like they know what they're talking about. Yeah. So here's an example of something that I think both captures the entitlement and the fear Mm -hmm. is healthcare. Mm. We feel overwhelmingly that we're entitled to fucking healthcare. Right. Like, sorry. Right. But like... I need to be able to go to the doctor. Right. Okay. So there's that. There's that. Right. Mm-hmm. But 
but there's also this oops sorry i'm dropping my phone but simultaneously there's still this underlying fear and distrust because that healthcare system is so fucking broken. We've talked about this. The number of times that we've had to change our healthcare plans yeah, because yeah. either you change your situation, you go back to grad school, you change your employers, your employer changes your healthcare yep. healthcare plan right under your own nose. Yeah. Like it's something where like we feel a sense of entitlement about something and in all intents and purposes, like a lot of people are successful in getting that entitlement if you're able, if you work at a job where they offer that benefit and many mm -hmm. people do not have that benefit but hopefully like many people are able to participate in the public option mm -hmm. but it's still totally shitty so you still have this fear of like well I could like wake up one day and realize that like I don't get Kaiser anymore and now I'm on Blue Cross Blue Shield and I'm supposed to be fine with that right which is what happened to me which like is fine in theory like yeah I still have health insurance but like I have no reason to trust the system because the system, like, is basically telling me that, like, I should never have a relationship with a primary care physician right. and that I have will never have consistency and, like, I don't know about the billing system and, like, okay, fine, I'll just, like, keep my fingers crossed and I'll just, like, never have to go to the doctor. Yeah. So that's, I think, the, like, the duality of, like, the entitlement and mm -hmm. also the distrust of a shaky system. Yeah. Like I said, she says, we're, we're whining for talking frankly about how much we do work, how exhausted we are. Being able to communicate or acknowledge this sort of dissatisfaction or saying, like, this isn't acceptable or this is what we want. Mm -hmm. That's sort of what, what the issue is. And, like, who has the opportunity to even be at the table having that conversation mm -hmm. like there are a lot of people who just never even get to the table mm -hmm. are systematically pushed away yeah whose voices are not acknowledged mm -hmm. speaking of yeah um, tiana clark wrote a response to to peterson's um article so tiana clark identifies as a black woman and she talks about how she didn't see herself in this article. She says, as I was reading the article, I didn't see myself reflected. And that's why I kind of shared a Twitter thread about black burnout, about this feeling that I don't feel like I'm allowed to be tired. I also feel like for black people, you can call it inherited trauma, inherited burnout, this cross-generational idea that comes from a long line of tired black women. Not only are we fighting the endless emails and Slack notifications, but we're also trying to prove our humanity inside and outside of the workplace. So often the millennial conversation is centered on whiteness when 43% of millennials are non-white. So I think it's important to kind of broaden the conversation. And one other thing from the article that I want to read just to make sure, you know, it's in her words. Um, she says, I wonder if this zeitgeisty phenomenon, this attempt to define ourselves ourselves as the spent frazzled generation has become popular because white upper middle class millennials aren't accustomed to being tired all the time aren't used to feeling bedraggled as blacks and other marginalized groups have for a long time yeah yeah y yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes 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 i mean that's why i think this conversation around like entitlement and laziness like it's a particularly egregious because it completely ignores all of these systemic conditions on top of it yeah for, for folks of color from other marginalized groups they're like not only are you navigating these unique like economic professional 
personal barriers and, and obstacles, but you're also on top of that concerned about being pulled over by the police. Yep. I also just want to add one more thing, um, which is around this idea of laziness and the and the word lazy, which mm-hmm. I feel like is a really problematic word in a lot of ways. From the BuzzFeed article, social, psychologi- social psychologist Devin Price said that laziness, at least in the way that most of us generally conceive of it, and this is a direct quote, simply does not exist. This person says, if a person's behavior doesn't make sense to you, it is because you are missing a part of their context. It's that simple. Mm. And I think that that is just a really important piece for us to focus on because mm-hmm. when we use this word lazy or when other people use this word lazy or when a billboard for prudential who was it who's this that fucking billboard that's like yeah. people think millennials are lazy prove them right or yeah. something retire early yep oh my god yeah anyway it's, it's like on the the 101 or 208 or, or 280 or whatever yeah it's on the 101 right after you get off the bridge like yeah. very prominent billboard real estate there yeah. talking about millennials being lazy yeah and it's like we ascribe that word to groups of people in mm-hmm. ways that are racist and classist and super problematic yeah but just want to take a moment for us to all re-examine that word because like people use that word like casually at work in where I work not often but like sometimes they do or like especially in the education world we use that word to describe kids and mm-hmm. it's like that word to me is so fucked up in a lot of ways and yeah. I really appreciate this person Devin Price for highlighting mm-hmm. I think in a very succinct way that what that word indicates when you use that to describe someone is there's something about their context that you don't understand because of what we know about the human conditions. People are driven. Mm-hmm. People in general want to be successful, want to be loved, and want to be affirmed. Right. And, like, there's really very few exceptions to that, but right. there's a lot of reasons why people can't operate on that level. Right. Right. Many of which are out of their control. Totally. Totally. And I think that that's why it's, with all of these narratives, so frustrating to feel like it's an interpretation as opposed to real context. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing both of those excellent articles. Oh, for sure. For sure. It was exciting to see something get so much traction, have people talking. I mean, people, a lot of a lot of outlets had responses to it, like aside from Tiana Clark's article, which I thought was exceptional um, and helpful and, and generous and, um, and a critical part of this story. Uh, for the most part, people's responses weren't. People took away from it what they wanted to. Yeah. And that's the other trouble, too. And if that's what we're doing, then, hey, add us to the canon. Yep. Um, Emma, I have a a birthday quiz for you. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) All right. Quiz away, Gracie. Okay, so... Thank you so much for taking the time to do pre-work, by the way. Yeah, for sure. I, I just kind of wanted to... To bring in some kind of quiz. Yeah. And because uh, it's been a little bit, bit of time. And so this is all about um, music videos from like the late 90s, thousands era. Um, okay. So just sort of questions about those music videos. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. Okay. I just have five. But uh, hopefully that's enough. Okay. This boy band member was replaced in a video by a choreographer because he broke his foot and couldn't dance in the video. Okay. The choreographer was Wade Robinson. Oh, my God. You're right. It was. I know. And the boy band member was a Backstreet Boys member 
and it was Brian. Oh, interesting. Uh, no, it was in sync. <gasps> Try again. <laughs> How is it that you know the choreographer? Because he was a big deal. Got it. So imagine him, without a doubt, had to put on a wig for this character. No, because he looked like, oh. Did he already look like him? Wait. Without a doubt, had to put a wig on for this character. Was it Justin? Uh-uh. Okay. Without a doubt, had to put... It was AJ. No! Wait. AJ had the long hair. Without a doubt, he had to put a wig on to be this character. AJ's from the Backstreet Boys. Oh, I'm so confused. Um, who was the other guy with the long hair? Chris. Kirkpatrick. No. Um, was it Joey? Yes. <laughs> oh, I Joey. Just, they had the screenshot, and it looks, you know, it was in the era, it was early days in sync, so Joey has this, like, hair stay on end, and it's, you know, highlighted with the red in it. Mm. How did you so how did you know it was Wade Robinson? He was a big deal choreographer when all those boy bands were getting famous, like O Town and Backstreet and NSYNC. And he was just like pretty famous because he looked a lot like them. Oh. He like has the same look as them. He was also like young and cute and hip. And he was like part of that like squad. Like he was kind of like he wasn't in a boy band, but he was like part of like like I feel like he like was on making the band. And every season had an episode where you, like, go and, like, struggle your way through a class with right, him. Right, right. And he, like, teaches oh. you moves. Like, he was, like, the go-to. He, like, choreographed for, like, Britney. Like... Wow. Yeah. Way to go. Thanks. All right, bonus point. Can hey. you name the music video that this was in? Oh, there's absolutely no way I can name it. Um, I don't know. I'm... I, all I can think of is, it's tearing up my heart when, when I'm with you. And when we are apart, I feel it too. And no matter what I do, I feel the pain with or without you. <laughs> no, it was for pop. Oh. But, you know. Cool. You got a detail I wouldn't have even thought to ask about. Way to go. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Channing Tatum is a shirtless bartender in the background of whose music video from that era? Oh. LFO. No. Jessica Simpson. I should give you, uh, uh, well, I have no other clues, really. Is it a boy band? It is a, it is a, it is a male artist. Oh, is it Usher? No. Oh. Oh, is it ludicrous? No, this is really hard. Is I'm it sorry. Paul Wall? <laughs> no. Think more, more pop. Pop. Ah. Uh, okay, a male pop artist from that era. Is it Jesse McCartney? No. He was kind of later. I'll, Aaron Carter. I'll I'll just. Aaron Carter was not in. I'll a bar. tell you the song. Okay. She bangs. She bangs. Oh no way! Yeah. He was like in the background tossing up like cocktail. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. Maraschino cherries. Exactly. <laughs> all over the place. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, uh, for listeners who did not recognize, that was Ricky Martin. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Just clarifying. I'm yeah, sure yeah, everyone yeah. knows. Yeah. Our listeners are with it. Yeah. They're with it. They know. Um, who wore her 12 year old wedding dress in a 2005 music video? Cher. No. What? No. <laughs> that was dumb. And okay. Uh, Madonna. No. Oh, what? Well, I was going to say it's opposite Eric Roberts, 
And I have to say, around 2000, you know Eric Roberts? No. It's Julia Roberts' brother. What? You would recognize him. It's Emma Roberts' dad. What was he famous for? He was in so many music videos in that era. He was in Mr. Br- Mr. Brightside. What? Yeah. He was in this music video that I, you know, where the leading pop star wears her 12-year-old wedding dress. Listeners, did you know this? Eric Roberts? Yeah. He's like an actor. He was in Okay, first of all, I was asking Batman, the listeners. I think. He think he was in the Batman movies, too, as some mobster. Sorry, I didn't mean to be mean. No, it's okay. Um, I just feel like he's one of those people where, for some reason, everyone put him in their music video. Weird. Yeah. Funny. Huh. So anyway, in the music like, video, she's getting married to him. And she was wearing her actual 12-year-old wedding dress? Yes. So in 2005, she had to be someone who was married at least 12 years. She she was not married to that person anymore. So it's someone who's divorced? Yeah. Who's a singer? Yeah. Who's at least probably 30s? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it's not Madonna. It's not Madonna. Sheryl Crow. No. <gasps> okay. Interesting. Wait. Category of music? Um, like, pop, like pop music? Pop. Okay. Um, who am I not thinking of? 2005. Um, she sang even this year at Times Square. Oh my god, Mariah Carey? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. She wore like her old wedding dress. In From the her marriage video. to Tommy Mottola? How do you know these people, Emma? <laughs> Seriously. I was like, I don't know who this guy that she married and divorced is. I why would I even ask about that, I Emma? will 100% tell you why I know that. Because in the back of Seventeen magazine, they ha- used to do these things where they would have collages for certain artists mm-hmm. or people, famous people. And I remember Mariah Carey's, it was when she was dating Derek Jeter, which was like, oh, I just thought they were so cute together. R.I.P. that relationship. And um, and in one of the collages, I don't even remember, maybe it was like their life or something, I don't know. But one of the pieces of the collage was a picture of her married to this old guy. Mm. Tommy Mottola, who was like a big, big deal, and he was her music manager or something like that, and he was a big deal at like Sony or something. Got it. And it was like kind of a tough relationship because she was like super young and he was like not, and it was kind of sketchy. But then, gotcha. Then they got divorced. Anyway, got cool. It. Yeah. All right, two more. Okay. They're both related to J Lo. <laughs> Hope you're down for that. Can't wait. All right, the brand of the outfit J Lo wore, and let me get through the whole thing, okay? I already know what I'm going to guess. Okay. (laughs) The brand of the outfit that J-Lo wore in her music video with Ja Rule for I'm Real was at the time unknown. The brand was totally unknown. But (gasps) following the music video, this brand that she wore became a staple in many young women's wardrobes. Thank you, Alex. What is Juicy Couture? Yes. Nice. She wore hot pink Juicy. Yeah. Oh, she looks so good in that music video. She really does. All right, speaking of music videos that she looked great in, um, what did Ben Affleck say about his decision to star alongside Jen in the music video for Jenny from the Block? What did he say? Like, how did he feel about it? What did he say about his choice to do that? I have no regrets, no apologies. No, it was this is the worst decision of my career, <laughs> which Ow. I know. 
Also, that is such a good song. I watched that music video anytime it was on TV. I Why was it. it in the worst decision? I don't know. Over Gigi? Gigi? Yeah, Ben. Really? The music <laughs> video was the worst decision? That your, tattoo on your back, okay? Your priorities ruining your marriage to second unofficial first lady of the United States, Jennifer Garner, <laughs> wasn't the worst decision of your life? My goodness. Oh, so anyway, there's some quiz about thank, that. Thank you so much, Grace. You're so welcome. That brought Happy up so birthday. many amazing memories. <laughs> My mom was so mad that I wanted to read these teen magazines, but listen, look lady, at look at how much has stuck. I My retained God. so much good information. Seriously. Is it time? Yeah, it's time for TBT. TBT. Wait, it's can we? Time for TBT. Wait, do it again. It's, it's time, time for, for TBT with, with Grace and Emma. All right, Grace, you want to go first? Sure. My TBTs this week have to do with arts and crafts. Again, <gasps> more I just realized. <laughs> so this week, um, two things for context. This week, I had to buy some highlighters. Fun. And... The only ones that they had at Walgreens also were erasable. And it made me. Yeah. And it made me think about when erasable pens came (gasps) out. Do you remember that? Yes. (laughs) And they, you know, there was just blue and black and they were pretty trash, but it was such a huge deal. Like I remember there being so much fervor around these erasable pens. Yeah. Um, and just the scientific nature of that and how we've evolved now to have erasable highlighters as well. Pretty big deal. And it worked, too. I tried it out. The highlighter? Yeah. Because the pens did not. They really didn't. It mostly just, like, kind of smudged it away, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it just, just, like, took off the first le- layer of paper and was like, look, it erased the pen. Right. And it exactly. was like, no, you just dug a hole into the paper. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Such a good one. All right. You ready? Yeah. Okay. I had a birthday party yesterday, and I decided to incorporate a new element, which was I went on Amazon, and I bought myself a Fujifilm instant camera, mm-hmm. and I brought it to the party, and then we like took a shit ton of pictures. Yep. And it was significant because when I went to college in 2006, Polaroid cameras were either like getting big and I'm having trouble in my research understanding why they were getting big or like whether they were like having a resurgence in that moment in the early aughts or whether it was just that like my friends had suddenly discovered them but Mm -hmm. I went to NYU my freshman year and like my god all we did on Friday and Saturday nights was just like pose and take pictures with our Polaroids yeah like people had Polaroid walls right every like Polaroids all over the place in your dorm room, like in your apartment that was like furnished with Ikea furniture. It was like you have that Ikea coffee table and you have your Polaroid pictures. Yeah. And I really loved that. Mm -hmm. I feel like, especially now that we've moved into digital camera age, Mm -hmm. I love keeping the instant film part of our generational exploration. Yeah. And I feel like they took a little bit of a dip. 
Um, and then I feel like they're really coming back. But RIP Polaroid, mm-hmm. which, as we know, filed for bankruptcy in 2008. Or maybe we didn't know that. They filed for bankruptcy in 2008, mm-hmm. I think, based on what I'm reading right now. And then they really started to decline. And um, there's now, like, Fujifilm and some other people, some other folks that have come in to kind of fill the market. But mm-hmm. RIP Polaroid, because they were really such an amazing part of being 19 and trying to figure yourself out mm-hmm. and figure out... I don't know. Your brand. Who's your brand? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> also, I feel like it was the era of, like, American Apparel and the, like, Terry Richardson oh, yeah. shit, which, like, fuck Terry Richardson. It was that, but, yeah, that aesthetic. Exactly. Of, like, raw. Yep. And also, it's not that detailed, right? It's still, like, a Polaroid, so you tend to look kind of good in them. Yep. Yeah, no HD on that shit. Anyway, TBT to Polaroid. And one it. one more question. Yeah. Do you ever have an IZOD? Oh my god! This? Um, yes, I think I, I think I did. I think I got one when gotcha. it, when it like it was really long and thin. It was long and, and thin. And it came out, yeah, like you pull it out like that. Oops, <laughs> hitting shit in the closet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, I have a picture of my brother that I took on the Izod when he was in. He must have been in third grade mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Oh, memories. Man. Capture. That was a really good TBT. Thanks, Grace. Thanks, Emma. What a what a fun way to spend a Sunday together. No kidding. It's raining outside, you so, know. So cozy. Yeah. All right, listeners. Thank you so much for your endless support and appreciation. We love the feedback. Keep positive it and growth oriented. Find us on the Instagram, TBT with GNE, G, the letter G, the letter N, the letter E. Yeah. And we're really excited to uh, keep this conversation going. Yeah, let us know what you think. Woo woo! See you in a fortnight. See you in a fortnight. Woo.